What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's interview is with Evan Hamilton, who's the director of community at Reddit, one of the largest communities in the world, the largest community online. Evan and I have known each other for a very long time. He and I got started in this industry around the same time, back when he was leading community for a software platform called User Voice. He ended up working with me on CMX, running CMX Summit. And so we got to work together as a team for a while. And today he's leading community at Reddit, where he joined at an interesting time where moderators weren't really trusting the Reddit team. There was a lot of miscommunications. They didn't believe that the Reddit team was really listening to them. Reddit's original CEO, Steve Huffman, came back and, and took over at the company again. And so Evan kind of inherited a situation where he was building community and having to rebuild a lot of trust. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know how hard it is to rebuild trust with any community, let alone one that has millions of members and tens of thousands of community organizers that are the Reddit moderators. So we talk all about how to build community at scale, how to rebuild trust at scale and all the systems and tools that they've put in place now to be able to rebuild trust and continue to maintain trust and build healthy communities on the Reddit platform. Tons of really interesting insights here for anyone, whether you're building a large community or a small one. We also finish by talking about the pseudonymity power of communities and, and how there's actually a big opportunity right now for communities to lean into pseudonymity where people don't have to be tied to their personal or professional identities. Lots of good stuff in this one. Let's dive in. All right, Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be here with you. So we've known each other for a very, very long time. Very true. Uh, we go way back to the early days of the community industry. You were, I think you were working at User Voice when we originally met, which was like a community platform to get feedback from your community. We just started connecting around community management, whatever the hell that meant at the time. I think you were doing the community breakfast back then. Probably. And then, um, yeah, I think you were because you used to organize like little meetups for community managers at the user voice office. I remember mm -hmm. for us to come together over pastries and conversation. And then we got to work together on CMX and you ran CMX Summit for a while. So we got the opportunity to collaborate on community. And now today you're running community at Reddit, which is really epic. And I mean, of all the communities in the world, to to manage you've chosen probably the most challenging <laughs> <laughs> so you've been on quite a journey and i'm very excited to talk about kind of the things that you're working on today with reddit and the things that you're learning there but would love to hear in just your own words for everyone who doesn't know the legend that is evan hamilton <laughs> what is your story and, and how did you come to leading community at reddit today well, I was just telling you the other day that that I hate when people give their life story, so I'll try and keep it short. Uh, but I think you know, I like like many other people, you know, back in the day, really stumbled into community. I had been involved in theater. I had been involved in music. I thought I was going to be a theatrical lighting designer, and then discovered this industry when it was really in its very very nascent stages. And found that there was a job where I could help people and, and help the company. And that idea of win-win is something that has just 
fascinated me and has been a, a through line throughout all my work. I, I am still in this industry over a decade later because I get to create win-wins every day. And so I, I got to start out doing that uh, at an old web browser called Flock. I've touched every flavor of community and every flavor of uh, startup at this point. I did, worked in B2B SaaS at UserVoice, as you mentioned, um, launching their meetup program, which eventually became a, a conference, a community manager newsletter, which I still run to this day, which is wild. I just looked at the stats, and I think I've sent out 700 of those newsletters uh, over the course of my life, which is wild. Spent some time in e-commerce, um, in ed tech at Coursera. As you mentioned, uh, got the, the huge privilege of organizing the CMX summits, which was just an amazing experience to be part of. I, I've been part of CMX since really the beginning. I came to the, the, the first conference. I've only missed one, I think, at this point. Just had an, a tremendous experience getting to connect with everyone there. And then, yeah, did a little consulting for companies like uh, Nextdoor and then landed at Reddit, which, you know, I've been a Redditor for, for many years, a casual Redditor. But the opportunity to work in the biggest community on the web with the most opportunities and the most problems at the time um, was hard to pass up. And it's been so rewarding to see Reddit you know, transform over these last almost four years now um, to something that... I think it truly deserves to be, which is, you know, a, a leader in the community space. Amazing. So you joined Reddit and you joined Reddit during an interesting time in Reddit's journey. You came into a scenario where there was a lot of kind of trust that needed to be rebuilt with the moderators who essentially power the entire community. Can you speak a little bit about what that was like and kind of the situation that you came into? Yeah. In 2015, things had kind of reached a breaking point with, with Reddit moderators. They, they weren't feeling supported. They didn't have a lot of tools. They had sort of a single point of contact at the organization. There were a lot of things going on. And when that point of contact abruptly left, they spoke up. And the way they felt they had to speak up to, to get the attention of the organization was to protest. And so they um, took a number of their communities offline uh, as a protest to, to have their voice be heard. And so in the wake of that, Reddit brought our founder, uh, Steve Huffman, back. And Steve basically rebuilt the organization from scratch. Um, and so I was one of those hires in the couple years uh, after that incident. And what I had to work with was this deep distrust of Reddit as an organization after just sort of years of it being underfunded and neglected and um, not handled very well. Kudos to my predecessor, uh, Philippe Baudet, who, who did a lot of the foundational work of rebuilding that, that trust. But when I took over, uh, yeah, there's just this sense of we, we don't believe Reddit. And that's a really hard place to work from with, with any community. Mm, that is really challenging. It's like the, the return of the Steve. It's kind of like when Steve Jobs returned to Apple and rebuilt it. Yeah. What was done? What did Steve do? What did you do? What did Philippe do to start to rebuild that trust? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step was just talking to moderators. You know, community boils down to some pretty simple principles. And one of them is communication and transparency. And what moderators needed at that time was to feel like they actually could talk to Reddit. You know, they did not feel like they had that access before, and that's why they felt like they needed to speak up. And so Philippe and Steve just did a lot of talking, communicating, understanding issues, starting to talk about what needed to change. 
And then, you know, where, where I picked up from Philippe was a couple of aspects. One is, you know, addressing the concrete issues. Um, there are, you know, features that they needed, there were support that needed to improve, but also the emotional issues, right? This, this sense of mistrust, right? We've all had that experience, whether it's with a boss or a partner or a friend where something happens where it, it takes trust out of the vault and, it's hard to move on from there because you don't have that foundation. And so a lot of our work has been foundation, obviously communication, again, um, defaulting open as much as possible, bringing moderators in through things like a, a community council program. And then there's also a big aspect of humanizing both Reddit employees and moderators. It's very easy, especially at the scale of Reddit, for people to see the company as kind of this faceless corporate behemoth. And when I joined, it was not. It was, you know, 250 people crammed into an office, you know, who deeply cared about Reddit. But we had to do a lot of work on how do we see each other as humans again? Because there were also people internally who felt hurt by the, the protests and felt like they had some lingering emotional baggage. And so... Um, that took a lot of forms. You know, initially, um, one of the really successful programs we did is uh, our moderator roadshow, where for a couple of years we went around the country and just hosted events. And there was no agenda. It was let's have fun, let's buy you some drinks, give you some swag, and just talk and be humans. And the biggest positive takeaway from those really was both sides saying, "Wow, like you're people and and you care, and you know we we have the same goals here," um, which you know, seems obvious, but, but can really, um, that, that distance can really grow when you, you don't intentionally build those connections. And then, um, this last year, the program that I'm really proud of that we launched is called Adopt an Admin. And, uh, this is where we brought actual staff members who we call admins onto moderation teams for one to two weeks. And they actually participated in moderating a subreddit alongside these volunteer moderators. And that was incredibly powerful on both sides. Again, it created that humanization. It gave some context for the work that moderators were doing. And it also gave moderators a sense of what people at Reddit do, because this wasn't just community folks. This was product managers. This was folks from sales. You know, This was uh, people who work on our safety teams. Um, and so it really, again, just builds that sense of we're all humans and we're all in this together. And I think uh, you see, uh, I will leave them unnamed, but larger social companies really struggling with this because they don't have that connection with the community. And so it is an abstracted creature that, you know, it's easy to assume bad intent from. I'm curious on the Adopt an Admin program, what was that like for your moderators? Were they not feeling like, I mean, that like to bring on someone for two weeks to moderate their community? Did they have to like onboard that person and train them and teach them? Was that more work for them? Were moderators happy to do that? Yeah, it was definitely a big ask for them. And so, you know, it was, it was entirely uh, volunteer-based. Nobody had to do it. And one of the pieces of feedback we did get is it takes a lot longer than two weeks for a moderator to get onboarded, right? But there were many subreddits that were, were happy to help and pitch in because they want staff to understand how their communities run. And communities are complex. They're not always intuitive. And I think, again, we've seen this at Reddit, but also at, at some of these other social companies that there are a lot of assumptions about how communities work that don't survive <laughs> when you actually go on the ground and experience them. And so we had numerous people saying, you know, this was an eye-opener. You know, 
this should be something that every new employee has to do. Uh, and I think for that reason, it was beneficial for those subreddits. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it seems like a win-win because they get to like feel really heard and they're like, great, I finally get someone who will like experience what I'm experiencing and feel what I'm feeling. I don't just have to communicate it. So I think for moderators who were interested in it, it probably was something that they perceived as really valuable. Absolutely. And so I think part of the challenge with these kinds of programs with something at the scale of Reddit is is the scale of Reddit. Like when you say, you know, have these conversations and, and talk to moderators and make them feel heard, there there are what, like over 10,000 moderators? Tens of thousands of active moderators, yeah. And you look at other social networks and you get this same kind of vibe. It's like, how do you build relationships with, you know, all of these people, I mean, at least on Reddit, it's moderators who are facilitating smaller communities. It's not just one grand platform. But I'm just curious, like, what does that look like from a practical standpoint? Are you just picking members at random to have conversations with and you hope that you have enough conversations with enough of them and that will build up into a broader trust with the rest of the moderators? I think any approach at scale has to have multiple elements. There's not going to be a silver bullet that solves it. So for us, you know, the first part is just defaulting open as much as we can. When we announce a feature, we tell people why we're doing it. We talk to moderators about how it might affect them. We acknowledge potential challenges for them and try and solve them. By defaulting open, then we don't have to do individual cleanup as much, right? The more we can tell people, um, the less work we'll have to do after the fact. But absolutely, you know, I was just talking about humanizing us, and (laughs) it's hard to do when you can't talk to each of the tens of thousands of active moderators. And so uh, one of the programs that I'm really proud of is we've built out uh, a community council. And this is currently around 50 moderators representing subreddits across the spectrum, from sports to identity to gaming to discussion to, you know, local um, German subreddits. And created a space where we can really build that intimacy and that conversation with them. So they're all under NDA, and we aim to share basically everything with them, everything we possibly can, as early as possible, and get their feedback. So we have calls um, at least once a month uh, on different topics, whether it's you know talking about our safety features, talking about issues they're concerned with, um, previewing you know new post types, anything that moderators may want to have input on, we want to get them involved early. And while this is only 50 moderators out of tens of thousands, these folks can then go and tell others, well, I was part of this. You know, I know the moder- I know that the admins are thinking about this thing, that they've heard our voice on it. And so I think that's been a really crucial program for both ensuring that we are hearing our moderators and also that they can see that. It's a concrete program. And I think success is, you know, 75% the actual program, but 25% the perception, right? The the sense of there is this concrete thing that I can look at and say, okay, Reddit has this council of moderators. Um, and so, you know, we'll continue to expand that. We want to continue to expand actually how much say they have in our decisions. Um, but it's been a huge tool for representing uh, our point of view and, and representing moderators' point of view within the organization. I love that. And it goes back to that original challenge that you came in with of people didn't believe Reddit and now with the council and the programs that you have, like you said, it's not necessarily everyone experiencing it directly, but at least getting the perception that they can believe you and you are listening. 
I love the community council concept and seeing more communities and companies starting to think about that. Love to like understand a little bit more about the details of it. So, so they meet once a month, right? With with you, with other members of your team. Yeah, so uh, I have a fantastic member of my team, Zarina Mod, who leads this program. She ensures everything is coordinated, um, but the the audience will change. So once a quarter, they meet with our exec team, uh, including our CEO, so they get direct access to our executives. Um, but then we will have meetings specifically focused on safety, where we might have you know, members of our operations teams, our safety product team mm-hmm. in the room. Uh, we'll have features on um, specific areas like video where we're diving deep on what are you excited about what are you concerned about here's where we're going with video um so the different sessions vary but currently we're we're doing at least one a quarter with our exec team and it's been amazing to see that transition because when we started this it was something that people were pretty wary to participate in redditors have a lot of passion about reddit <laughs> they they want reddit to be great and they will speak up and sometimes the way they speak up can be overly passionate. And so and early on, we had product managers who said, I don't want to come in and get yelled at. But what we built over time was this very safe space where we're all in it together. Mm. And so even when moderators are frustrated, they don't come in and yell because they know this is a space where they can get things done if they're a good participant. And so we've transitioned over you know, two and a half years, I think, from product managers being afraid to attend to, you know, our executives are excited for the next one and and can't wait to attend. And that's been just a lot of building that trust and moderating those conversations, right? Figuring out how do you have a tough conversation? And that includes, you know, last year we had a number of calls around uh, changes to our policy uh, related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And those were tough conversations, but because we had this structure in place and we had this existing foundation of trust, everyone in there felt like, we're all trying to achieve the same goal. Let's figure out how to get there together. And so it was just amazing to see, especially you know, looking at the, the state of discourse in the States right now, people come together to talk about a very difficult subject and plot a course together that would help everyone rather than fight. How did you make that safe space when it wasn't perceived to be, or maybe it even wasn't even a safe space to start? What what did you practically do to make it feel like a safe space? I think some of it is just the access. It's easy to be frustrated when you're talking to a representative, right? It's the, (laughs) I want to talk to your manager syndrome. Uh, You feel like the person you're talking to doesn't have power. And so you just try and push past them to get to their manager. And so by actually involving the product managers who are building these products and eventually involving our execs, it was clear that you're not going to get any higher up the chain. This is the person who's building this thing. And I I think that helps, first of all. Um, Having a buffer in between can be good, but can also be detrimental because people feel like uh, this representative isn't going to go you know, uh, fight for me. I think the other part was just framing and, and priming and setting up the conversation as, hey, we are all here because we're on the same page. We want Reddit to be great. We want moderators to be a big part of that. Let's talk about how to get there together. And I think that's something that we often forget to do when we're organizing events is we get so focused on the actual content, we forget to frame here's why we're here. Here's what we have in common, not not what is different about us. And here is what our end goal is. And so I, I think those helped a lot. And then I think the last part is being really thoughtful about 
who you select and how you position what you're asking them to do. So we very intentionally looked for people who weren't afraid to give us feedback, but also gave us constructive feedback. There's plenty of folks out there who probably would have been great, you know, yes people and come in and said, we love everything you're doing. And there would have been people who came in and just railed at us. And so we looked for folks who had a history of speaking up about things they thought were wrong or broken or didn't work, but who were willing to have that dialogue. And so that puts you on, on a good foot to start with. And then also telling them that's why we selected them, right? We, we want you to speak up. We also want to be able to have a real conversation. And I think that both feeds one's ego, but for a good reason, right? Because they actually are the person we want in the room. They're the person who is going to be able to navigate this with us. How do you find the members? Do they apply to join? Are you seeking them out and inviting them? That's something that we're continuing to evolve. Initially, we kept this under wraps because we didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I think that's a really crucial thing when rebuilding trust. Um, you often see companies, and I'm sure we have done this at times, say, okay, we understand that you're upset. We're going to commit to doing all these really big things. And then if some of those things don't happen, even if it's for factors completely out of your control, that trust is then once again affected. And so rebuilding trust, it's really important to underpromise and overdeliver. So initially, uh, we did not promote uh, this council. We privately reached out to folks who we wanted to have be part of it. They were all under NDA. As we've become more confident with the results of the program, we started talking about it more and taking recommendations for new members. And then over time, I expect this will become more of a public process um, as we you know, become even more confident with the results and, and grow it to a larger size. It, it doubled in the last year from around 25 to 50. So once it gets larger, we're definitely going to need to have more of a public process. Right. Do people rotate out? Do they have like a term on the council? Yeah, the intention uh, is that you you have a term on the council. The idea being that you know we need fresh perspectives. We don't want to create this sense of there's this power cabal that's controlling what's happening on Reddit, and also that you know we want to release people back into the wild to to talk about their experiences. In practice, you know we're not always 100% great at enforcing that because we love people and have had great experiences with them. But one of the other things that we are doing is we are building out a contractor program where uh, internal teams utilize moderators for projects where they need Reddit expertise for a, a short period of time for a project. And so that's also created another path for these folks, you know, as they reach the end of their tenure or folks who even aren't part of the council to become contract employees for Reddit, which has been really exciting. Very cool. Is it all volunteer based in the council? There's no like compensation? Yeah, the council is, you know, a, a place to give advice, give feedback, get insight. Um, there are no you know, hard requirements about things you have to contribute as long as you are participating. And so it's entirely volunteer. And if someone wants to right. step back, that's totally fine. And what's the format of a session? How long is it? And what, what does the actual content of a session look like? It depends a little bit on the topic, but generally we um, kick it off with introductions. Again, that, that humanizing, talking about who you are, um, what you do at the company or what subreddit you represent. Um, and then there's usually some form of preview. We're often previewing a policy we want to change or a feature we're planning on rolling out or even just a problem we're trying to solve that we don't have a solution for yet. 
And then we try and make sure every meeting that we have time to discuss any concerns that the moderators have. When you look at the exec sessions, those are almost entirely driven by the moderators. So it's the moderator's chance to share their major concerns or thoughts or ideas with the executives. This is it kind of like town hall format then? You just kind of have like an open mic for people to step up and share their concerns or what's on their mind? Yeah, we, we usually request ahead of the call um, some topics that people would like to discuss just so if we need to do any prep, we can. We can prioritize the topics that we know people want to talk about. Um, but it, it's definitely flexible and free-flowing. One of the important things we do is, although there are 50 members of the council currently, we have a limit, I think, of 10 council members within a call. And that is just a practical limitation of, you know, we get more folks than that, and it's just hard to have an ongoing conversation. And so we work hard to make sure each of those calls, those 10 folks are representing a, a diversity of subreddits and that everyone's getting a chance to participate in the call. Right. And how long is it? An hour longer? Yeah, usually about an hour. Yeah. It seems like it would be hard to like get so much like introductions and cover all these topics and have conversations around them in an hour. Do you find that that's difficult to squeeze it all in? I mean, there's always more to talk about. <laughs> you know, I, I always joke that I could hire you know, 500 people and, and still have things for them to work on because Reddit is so big. But I think in some ways that is good. It, it leaves people excited to dive into the next conversation. Mm. And it also gives time for follow-up, right? Because the, the challenging thing about an advisory council like this is that most of the things you discuss can't be changed tomorrow. We love it when we find those, right? It's amazing when you realize, oh my God, we can go change this and by our next meeting, it'll be fixed. But a lot of the things that are brought up are either complex or they're structural or they're cultural changes that need to happen. And so uh, it's good to not get to every single possible topic in one session because there is follow-up to do to make sure that we're actually delivering on these conversations. And so mm -hmm. I think it's good to leave a little in reserve for the next conversation. Totally. So another really interesting thing that I know you do with your team and community at Reddit is you have... How many subreddits are there now? Uh, there's hundreds of thousands of, of active subreddits. Hundreds of thousands. So, <laughs> you know, your, part of your job is ensuring that those communities are successful and can continue to be successful. And so I know you kind of have these like automated triggers that tells you when a community and a, and a moderator team might need help for, for your team to step in because you obviously can't be hands-on with hundreds of thousands of communities. So would love if you could share kind of how you how you manage that system and what are those kinds of triggers that you look for that tell you that a community might need help. Yeah, I think, you know, this goes back to, to trust building and, and thinking about how you do that at scale. We are very available to our moderators, but there's lots of moderators out there. We're not in contact with all of them. They may not even all realize we're there to help. And they can sometimes try and solve their own issues when it might be beneficial for us to, to step in and help them or, or to offer up suggestions. And traditionally, we've been very reactive, right? We, we hear about something going wrong. Hopefully, someone tells us early, though not always, and, and we step in. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the trust vaults, which I'm pretty sure I stole from somebody at Pinterest. So apologies to whomever I stole that from. But this idea that you know trust is finite and you can get to the bottom of the vaults and in 2015 reddit did and you have to proactively be filling that up because you're going to lose trust because something breaks or you launch a feature not everyone likes or whatever 
And so part of filling that trust fault up is making sure people know you're there for them. And that's really hard to do when you're reactive, right? Because things are already in a, a bad state potentially. And so I've been really excited, uh, you know, building out this program, very much inspired by customer success teams, right? Who look at when is an account likely to churn? You know, what are the indications that there's something going wrong, that they're not trending in the right direction? And then how can we step in, hopefully before that happens, or at least when it does happen, you know, immediately at that moment so we can limit the damage? So, you know, the, the most common situations are a subreddit faces an influx of traffic, uh, maybe they were featured in the news, or you may not know, but there was a coronavirus subreddit long before COVID-19 because there were other forms of coronavirus. And it was a very small <laughs> subreddit dedicated to epidemiologists talking about this very niche, rare situation. And then overnight, it blew up, right? Uh, because it became a, a topic for everyone in the whole world. And in those situations, it can be very overwhelming for those mod teams if they've never dealt with that level of traffic. We'll also look at if there's been removals, moderators being removed from the mod team. Maybe there's some sort of internal struggle or an influx in reports because maybe there's a bad actor at play. And then we trigger an alert and our team looks into it and potentially reaches out to those subreddits to say, hey, we're here, here's some resources, let us know if we can help. And that has that program is still in its infancy, but even already it has made a tremendous difference because we are showing them that we are there for them and we're able to step in maybe before things get out of hand and, and provide them with the resources they need. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go the other way? So seeing that there's a, a huge influx of activity and engagement, that might mean they need help. Do you ever see ones that have a steep decrease in engagement as an as a indicator that they might need help? We're generally not looking at that uh, as a community team. However, there, there are teams at the company that are absolutely looking at you know, how many active communities we have and right. whether any are in decline. Um, so there, there's a team that is focused on that. I will say that the flip side of that program is a lot of proactive work we're doing around the size of mod teams um, because often mod teams are not as robust as they should be. And so we've actually developed a metric that tells us if a moderation team is big enough and active enough based on the amount of activity they have. And so a big focus for this year will be reaching out to subreddits that maybe don't have enough moderators and helping them recruit more. And that can be a challenging process to, to find someone who has the knowledge, who's going to stick around and participate. Um, so we're building out training programs um, as well as uh, tools to evaluate members of your subreddit to see if they, they might be a good fit. And we'll be working to beef up these mod teams that need more help, as well as actually looking ahead to, hey, we're going to you know, expand in Germany. Let's make sure those mod teams have plenty of members who are active because they will probably see an influx in traffic. And so again, we're just trying to move further and further up the funnel, I suppose, to make sure that we have as many pieces in place to ensure success as possible. There will still be dramatic happenings. Nobody could have predicted that uh, r slash coronavirus was going to blow up uh, until, you know, it happened. But the more we can prepare mod teams, the better. That's really cool. What are the metrics that you look for that tell you that they need more moderators? Is it just total activity? Yeah, mostly looking at activity uh, within the subreddit, but also moderation activity from the moderators. 
you know, lots of mod teams have folks who have become inactive over the years and, and aren't as big participants. And um, it's very frightening when you find a, you know, 10 million user subreddit that only has two active moderators. Um, and so that's the thing we're trying to get ahead of. Do you know what that number is, like number of members per moderator that's ideal? It's a little bit specific to Reddit. It's a little bit more about activity, so probably one that I can't share, but maybe maybe that's a future CMX <laughs> Summit talk. <laughs> Sounds good. That would be very interesting to learn more about. Cool. And what's the relationship between community and trust and safety at Reddit? Because I know that's those are different teams, and that's another element of community health. How do your teams work together? Yeah, we work very closely. Um, safety is obviously a, a big concern at Reddit, and it's something that we have invested immensely in over the last five years and one of those big changes um, since uh, 2015. And you know, we benefit from having a two-tiered moderation system. So we have our site-wide rules, which are there to protect users um, that continue to evolve over time. Uh, and our safety team that enforces them. But we also have the moderators who are on the front lines, who are seeing issues, who are also building their own rule sets. So individual subreddits may have uh, specific rules, whether they're content-based, um, cats standing up. You can only post pictures of cats standing up, and the title has to be cat. Uh, but also... Very specific. Yeah, but also safety-related, right? So uh, a community like Rare Puppers, which is cute dog photos, is going to have rules around profanity, Casual UK has a rule around not talking about politics because they want to have casual conversation. Uh, and so the, the benefit of that is people can really craft their own spaces and we have those extra set of eyes on what's going on in them. So our job in interfacing with the safety team is really kind of the human element. Um, safety is very operations focused and they're fantastic at it. They receive reports from users. They proactively detect things through machine learning. They process those reports, and then they act on them. And they're incredibly good at this. But humans are complex. Communities are complex. And so where we often come in is helping bring additional context about things that may be hard to detect or issues that automated systems may have caused. And that partnership has worked out really well because by their nature, our safety team has to be very operations focused. They have to be very, you know, there's an input and there's an output. Um, and because we are having these conversations with moderators and users every day and seeing what things look like on, on the ground, we're then able to come in and, and provide that additional human context and help them sort of fine tune the, the machine that they've built. Right, makes sense. I love that. That makes sense to break it down that way too. And on that line of thinking, we know a lot of companies pretty much put one person in charge of community. They have like the solo <laughs> community manager and that person has to do all the things. But as our industry has developed and matured, we've seen that there's a whole range of different skill sets and needs and roles within this umbrella of community. And you've had an opportunity with Reddit because of the scale to structure your team in a more intentional way where there are people with more kind of specialties and focus on different areas of community. So curious for, for a community at the size of Reddit, how have you structured your team and what are the roles within your team? It's definitely evolved over time. Uh, when I joined, it was one singular team, about seven people who did user support and moderator support and programs and AMAs and interfacing with safety and probably 20 other things. And as we grow, we become more and more specialized. The 
biggest learning for me is that there are different types of community professionals and that is okay. <laughs> I think we often look for these unicorns where it's like, great, I want you to be empathetic and analytical, really great at talking to people, but also really great at building programs. And I want you to be an expert in <laughs> you know, how to build out an operational system. And those people are few and far between. Uh, most of those people probably have head of community titles. But there are people who are amazing at mediation. I have folks on my team who can walk into a room with, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys and like calm them down and get them, you know, singing sea shanties together. <laughs> and then I have people on my team who know how to think through every aspect of a system and have, you know, five different teams interacting with it and a hundred moderators going through it and everything worked like clockwork. And so the way we've built out the team is we, we have three distinct teams um, and within them some specialties. We have our community support team. They focus mostly on traditional customer support, though they're expanding into thinking about how do we create a positive new user experience? How can we create an intentional user experience? We have our community relations team, which are more kind of traditional community managers. They know how to mediate conflicts. They understand what's happening in the community. They're often the pipeline and, and the communication flow between company and community. And then I have a community initiatives team, which is program managers. And many of them are great at talking to people, but their specialty is around really building out programs, thinking through the operations, measuring the success. They're you know, running A-B tests and, and pulling statistically significant results that inform what the rest of the company is doing. Um, so it's very structured around people's strengths and the, the different areas we have to care about because we would not survive if we uh, were not really good at talking to people, but we also would not survive if we were not building programs at scale, because as we've already discussed, the, the scale of Reddit requires thinking through what can we do that touches a lot of people at once. For real, though, that TikTok sea shanty is like the best. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I have friends who refused to use TikTok until they heard the shanty, and now that that's what got them to download the app. And now they're like, oh, this place is great. I'm like, I told you. It took me uh, a couple days, and then I watched it, and it was as delightful as everyone had said. So go out there and watch the TikTok sea shanty if you have not. Um, so it's really cool how you've broken down your community team. How big's the team now? Um, I think we're around 23 at this point. Um, we've been on kind of a hiring blitz for the start of the year, so I'm actually not 100% sure. And then we have a handful of contractors that work with us. Very cool. Which is like is big for a community team, but then you think of the millions of people in the community, <laughs> twenty-three people in the community team. It's like holy cow, that's that's scale. But how many people directly report to you? Normally, it's about six. Um, so I have a, a manager for our community support team, a manager for our community relations team, and then I directly manage the folks on the initiatives team partially because they're you know very self-sufficient they're running their own programs and partially because each of them is kind of working on a specific area that uh, I want to put a lot of attention towards very cool yeah it's, I think that's part of the challenge too is just like managing the community managers and for folks in in your position at the head of community it can I mean it's it's an incredible amount of work to support all of them do you, do you have kind of like this hierarchy so that you have kind of mid-level managers as well now? Yeah, yeah. So for two of the teams, I, I have these mid-level managers who do an amazing job. I think 
you know, everyone early on in their careers <laughs> looks at management and says, like, why do we need managers? I would be better off without. And over time, you realize a lot of the work a good manager does is to enable their team, right? It's it's not about managing. I actually don't like that word, and I try not to use that in terms of communities either. I, I don't think communities can be managed, and I don't really think people can. Um, but it's about enablement, whether that's helping someone grow as a professional, introducing them to new resources or concepts, whether it's you know helping pave the way to successfully work with other teams, whether it's giving them a sense of the bigger picture or the connected pieces. You know, someone might be really focused on video and not realize there's a huge intersection with something happening over in the, you know, direct to consumer revenue space. And so, um, connecting those dots can be really powerful. And so I think when you shift your mindset from my job is to manage people and tell them what to do to my job is to help enable people, you know, to, to inspire, support them and help them go further. Um, that really unlocks the next level of, of work and productivity from people and um, helps make management a lot more rewarding. Very cool. So what's coming up next for you and the community team? How are you inspiring them now? What's what's the future of uh, community at Reddit? Yeah, it's a lot of building these programs that I've mentioned even bigger. So you know, our community councils, we want to both grow those, but also give them even more of a voice in what we're doing at Reddit. Uh, we want to create more pathways for our moderators to um, financially benefit from their expertise. So we're building out this moderator contractor program. We've already employed over 60 moderators as contractors for us and just converted one to a full-time employee, which was really exciting. And we're thinking a lot about how do we mature this kind of new framework that I talked about where we are notified of situations. How can we actually um, create processes for receiving alerts and what actions we take and how quickly we do those. How can we tier the things we're being alerted about? So we know this thing, you know, drop everything, you know, wake Evan up, let's go deal with it. This thing can wait until Monday morning. And then, um, you know, continuing to expand into new areas. Um, we're, we're doing some more intentional international expansion. And so my team's spending a lot of energy on understanding you know, how we should expand in different areas, what cultures are looking for, um, hiring people from within those cultures to tell us how to do it right, um, instead of just assuming we know as brash Americans. And also exploring what's next, you know, what what would take us to the next level? And that's what's really exciting about having this um, program manager team is that we're able to do real experiments and try new things. So we've been doing some really exciting experiments with cohorting people and, and seeing huge results there. And when you, again, think about the scale of Reddit, which we should do a count at the end of this episode to see how many times we said scale. <laughs> but when you think about the scale of Reddit, you know, it can be really overwhelming to enter Reddit. And so we're looking very closely at what would a much more intimate introduction to Reddit be, despite the size? How can we make that initial experience much more positive and, and connected before we expose you to the enormity that is Reddit? Love it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a never ending list of challenges and things that you can work on. And uh, I mean, it's been amazing to see the progress that you and your team has made since, since you joined watching from afar, it looks like a, an entirely different community and program. So, you know, major, major respect and props for everything you've accomplished at this point. And I think you're setting a really good example for other community teams, for other social platforms. Uh, it's been really cool to watch. 
Oh, thank you. It's been amazing to be part of, you know, I had been a Redditor for you know many years before joining Reddit very casually. And, and there were things I loved about Reddit and things I really didn't like about Reddit. And it's been a, a team effort, not, not just my team, but so many people at the company to take what is good about Reddit and amplify that and deal with the pro- problematic parts. Um, and, uh, you know, I tell my team when I onboard people, when we have our team meetings, our job is to s- support and nurture. Um, we can support the folks who are doing things on our platform and we can nurture the good things. And then our safety team can punish the bad things. And it's been just wonderful to see the culture on Reddit blossom and the diversity of content and people on Reddit expand as we've nurtured the really good parts. And so I feel very lucky to be part of it. Awesome. I, I only really started using Reddit in the last few years and didn't really dig or it didn't like vibe with me before. I don't know something about the culture or the way it was, but there's a few now that I'm very active in, which I'm not going to share because I use a pseudonym. It's like my, it's like my like secret community online. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm like very public and it's very tied to my identity on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, but on Reddit, I'm like, it's, it's kind of fun. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find me, but it's not like I'm in any weird stuff, but it's like fantasy football and stuff, but <laughs> it's still tied to my identity. I mean, this, this is a soapbox I'll climb up on because I think we, we often hear this concept thrown around that, pseudonymity or anonymity, you know, causes toxicity on the web. And uh, you only have to look as far as Facebook to see that people are perfectly willing to be toxic with their own real names. <laughs> and, you know, what we've seen on Reddit is that the benefits that pseudonymity bring that people can really bring their, their true selves to the table, right? Uh, we've, I've seen amazing conversations where, you know, mothers are sharing their experiences with postpartum depression something that they really may not feel comfortable sharing attached to their name in a public setting. You know, we have amazing communities uh, for marginalized groups. Um, we have support communities like Stop Drinking, where people are talking very, very honestly about their low points. And because of the pseudonymity, combined with you know a very robust safety team making sure that regardless of what pseudonym you're using, you're behaving, people are able to be themselves and, and let this raw part of them loose. And it may be something as intimate as stop drinking, but yeah, it might be fantasy football. You know, for me, it's comic books. I, I love comic books. Uh, some of my friends like comic books, but nobody's quite as geeky as me. And I have a space that I can go in and just geek out and be like, okay, these are my people. These are my comic book people. And I, I think that's one of the things that is amazing about the internet and to cl- put another soapbox on top of the soapbox I'm already on, Careful up there. <laughs> section 230. You know, the the ability for people to talk about the, the things that are real in their lives on the internet is a really important thing. And we have to make sure we preserve that about the web because that is why I fell in love with the internet when I was a teenager and I discovered I could go out and and talk about myself and meet other people and have these real interactions with people all around the globe. And that is where people are getting these these powerful moments of connection right now. And if we restrict that too much through a, a misguided vision of, you know, protecting free speech for those who break our rules, uh, we're going to eliminate something really powerful. Yeah, it would be a complete disaster if they remove Section 230. But that's, I mean, spot on, I think, and very similar experience to my early days on the internet. A lot of pseudonymous communities that was really where I did find 
a sense of community and belonging and found myself, whether it was like video games or dead journal and live journal or IRC, like all these spaces back in the day. And it kind of feels like Reddit's one of like the last bastions of, you know, pseudonymous like OG community. And it's something I think a lot of communities are missing. Like mm-hmm. I, if you think about all these professional communities that people are launching for designers or entrepreneurs or no code or all these things, you know, everything by default seems to be tied to our identity today. I don't think we explore enough the opportunities that exist by giving people an opportunity to have a pseudonym and be able to ask questions and participate in discussions without it being tied to their professional identity, their work identity, their personal identity. There's there's probably like a blue ocean of opportunity of community concepts that can be created today if you just take, you know, something that doesn't have a pseudonym in this space and and make that available. Yeah, and I, I think you see people swing too far to one side or the other. I mean, the, the flip side is spaces, I'm not going to call it a community, but spaces like blind, right? Where people are there to just dunk on <laughs> companies and people and it becomes incredibly toxic and you go in there and you feel bad. And I think the lesson is that it's not about the pseudonymity creating the the negativity it's about the culture right and how you build the culture and i'm very proud of where we steered reddit's culture because you know at one point we very much did not like where it was going um and i think you you can absolutely achieve positive pseudonymity but you have to focus on culture first and uh the the fights over pseudonymity are not where our energy should be our energy should be on how do we actually intentionally craft a space hundred percent. And there's also a difference between pseudonymity and anonymity. And so even if you have a pseudonym, you can still care about your reputation under that pseudonym within a community. Absolutely. Whereas if it's completely anonymous, there's no attachment to any identity and therefore much less accountability for what's shared. Yeah. And I think that's frankly a little untapped, right? There there have been some interesting communities that have said, you know, hey, you you basically need to invest some money in us, you know, whether it's five bucks or 50 bucks. And if you get banned, you lose that. And I I think there's something there. And there's obviously, you know, a whole potential world of crypto possibilities there. But that idea of I am investing something in this pseudonym. And if I break the rules, I'm going to lose it. Well, we're at time. So that means it's time for the rapid fire question round. Everyone's favorite part of the show. Let's do it. Are you ready, Evan? Are you ready for this rapid fire barrage of questions that's about to hit you? I think so. I hope so. Okay, we'll, we'll find out. All right. First question. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? From a business standpoint, I would say it's predictably irrational. I think there's just so much to learn there about how people's brains work. My, my cheat would be one that works whether or not it's professional or not would be, I believe it's called Big. It's by the Bjark Ingels Group, which is an architecture firm. And they it's all these beautiful photos and, and designs and layouts of buildings they've worked on. But their philosophy I, just completely inspires me because they look at how can we work within the constraints we have to create a better world. And so, you know, if you have a, a whole professional kitchen and there's a bunch of refrigerators that are letting off heat, let's find a way to make that heat actually heat the swimming pool. And I think if we all just thought about our world and our jobs that way, we'd be in a much better place. Very cool. Love those recommendations. Predictably Irrational is one of my favorites too. Dan Ariely is like, just like go watch his videos and hear his story. And then like, yeah, he's a behavioral economist and just 
anyone who's building community wants to understand human uh, motivations, there's there's few people better to read and watch. So love that recommendation. All right, next question. Who's an up-and-coming community builder or creator that you recommend we all follow? Uh, I'm super inspired by Shana Summers. Um, she's spoken at, at CMX Summit before. Um, she worked on the Her dating app community and just has really taken an intentional approach to how you think about communities and how they evolve that I'm blown away by, especially considering she's relatively new to the industry. I think she's she's about to start somewhere else. I'm not sure of the details, but definitely check her out. And then I don't know if you'd call him up and coming at this point, but um, I'm still blown away that Carter Gibson used to work for me and the, the things he's doing at Google and, and the things he's writing right now specifically um, are just incredibly smart. Love it. Both great recommendations. Shana happens to be my next guest on the show. So perfect. Great tee up. There you go. Carter's awesome. I got to work with him back in the day at Google and it's been awesome to watch his journey. And yeah, this content's just been crushing it in the space. So great recommendations again, Evan. You're two for two on the rapid fire question round. I'm very yes. impressed. All right. Um, let's go to the lightning round. Is there like extra, extra points I can get well, somehow? Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> uh, there's no wrong answers in the rapid fire question round. There's only answers that take too long. What's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? Uh, I think a really easy one is anything to do with food. People have very strong opinions. The slightly more complex one that I really love to do is, is building some sort of bracket. People fundamentally understand the bracket system, and it's really fun to choose a topic. When I was at User Voice, it was uh, there was a yearly like worst customer service provider, <laughs> and we would do a bracket to to try and predict who it was going to be. Um, and there's just something that people really get about that. It, it's fun. It's exciting. There's a winner, and everyone you know gets to participate and put their bets in. All right, next one. What is your favorite subreddit? Uh, I think, you know, my personal favorite subreddits are comic books and Dadit, which is a subreddit for dads. Um, though my like guilty pleasure is um, ATBGE, which stands for Awful Taste But Great Execution. And it is horrible things that are done really well. So there's a lot of tattoos, like really good art of something that I, you would never understand why someone would want to put it on their body. So I definitely recommend, uh, if you need a, a quick laugh, checking that out. I love all those silly ones. Mildly interesting is one of my favorites. Mm. Very Also excellent. One. It's amazing how entertaining, mildly interesting things can be. What's your least favorite subreddit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, I think my least favorite subreddits are gone now. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I won't take more. If you could only choose one metric to use for the rest of your career to measure communities, what would that metric be? I, well, I love that Holly called, called you out on this one because uh, this, is, this is a mean Everyone question. Calls, yeah, it's a brutal question. <laughs> well, I love it. Whew. Well, I, I mean, I think the, the cop-out answer is you know whatever matters to your company because ultimately you have to be providing value to the company. And so in some way you need to be supporting that North Star. Um, that said, I think when looking at kind of the health of the community, I, I honestly think trust. Um, so we've been using a, a modified version of the Edelman Trust Barometer, which Carrie uh, Jones introduced me to. And in many ways, like Net Promoter Score, the number isn't always the most important thing. It's what you get out of asking that question. And I think learning why people trust you and why they don't tells you a lot. And so for us, learning that 
just interacting with us made a huge difference in terms of trust. That has inspired many of our programs because uh, we, you know, we thought, oh, it's, it's got to be response time. It's got to be the programs we provide to people. And in many cases, it was just knowing that there are humans on the other end of the line. So I would say measuring trust is pretty crucial. What, how do you do the Edelman trust barometer real quick, if, if that is a quick answer? Yeah, it's it's a pretty simple question. Uh, it's something along the lines of uh, how much do you trust Reddit Inc. to do the right thing? And then I think it's a nine-point scale. I could be wrong. You can look it up. Edelman puts out a big report each year about kind of global trust in institutions, which is fascinating. And then the, the follow-up question is the important part, you know, as with that promoter score, why did you give that answer? Right. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, next question. Uh, what's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? <laughs> I mean, I was a theater kid. Uh, I was a, a lighting design uh, major. Uh, and I think theater is a really weird one because it's this combination of extremely extroverted actors and then extremely introverted tech people. That's a broad generalization, but I, I feel comfortable saying it because I am the introverted tech person. And so it was just kind of, it's, it's this space that is both like, I don't know, debaucherous and, and exciting, but also really geeky. And I don't think I've ever been part of something that has quite that many contradictions. <laughs> Love it. All right. Last question. Easiest one. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world for how to live, what would that advice be? Now, is this the original, like, 150 characters, or is this the 280? I am not going to count your character. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's listen to people. I think that has been my superpower in my career and something I, I wish I was better at doing in my personal life. But listening to people will get you really far. And I think we spend way too much of our time thinking about ourselves and not listening to others. And most of the things that I have succeeded at have been for me really understanding what someone else is saying, what they mean by it, what they really want, and then trying to help them get there in a way that hopefully works out well for me. And so just spend more time listening. I love that. That is a good piece of advice. All right. Well, last thing, where can people go to continue to learn from you and follow you and find you online? Yeah, I, I occasionally blog at evanhamilton.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter there, Community Manager Breakfast, which uh, I send out most Mondays with three community tips and tricks and links uh, that I found across the web. Highly recommend um, subscribing. I love that newsletter. Thank you. Uh, and I am also on Twitter as Evan Hamilton and LinkedIn as Evan Hamilton. Pretty much anywhere you want to look, you can find me there. Awesome. Well, Evan, like I said before, um, continuously amazed and impressed by all the work that you've done and seeing your journey in the community world since we both started many, many years ago. And you've always been a good friend and supporter and kind of a mentor for me and all this stuff and uh, just constantly learning so much from you. And I know everyone else is too. So just really grateful for you and for you taking the time to chat with me today and share all your more recent lessons with us on, on the show. Well, thank you for, for having me. I feel very blessed to be part of this industry and it's been amazing seeing CMX go from this, you know, thing crammed into a, a warehouse, you know, with a tiny stage to, 
you know, still growing and growing each year. And, and the podcast is amazing. And uh, I hope to be part of it for many more years. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.